0: A Bible I' been invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 which is page 8 hundred and fifteen in the church Bibles and in just a moment or two I'm going to begin reading from verse 35 all the way to verse 51 verse 51 um, while you're turning there just a couple of announcements just uh I need to thank publicly Dale Geisler and Bob Lynch, two of our elders who um, undertook the preaching obligation while I was away, and I thank God for them. And also, the second thing I want to say is I want to thank God for you. I'm very much aware that if people don't consistently give, then there's no way in the world that I could take two weeks off to be with mostly my son uh, and family. So I want you to know how grateful I am for those of you who give to the ministry. It's a terrific privilege to serve you, and uh, I thank God for you. And I try to do my best to earn what I receive. So just keep that in mind. Okay, verse 35, 1 Corinthians 15. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he determined, and to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh; animals have another; birds another; and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly body is another. The sun has one kind of splendor; the moon another; and the stars another. And the stars differ from star to star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last man, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven, as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also, and this is incredible, are those who are of heaven. And just as we've been born in the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Amen. Verse 50. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen. I will tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all change. Amen. Let's pray together. And may God give us understanding of his word this morning. Father, you are a good, good father. And it was a pleasure to sing that song to you. And we would ask this morning that your written word would be our rule, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and our source of power and your greater glory, Father, our chief concern. And to that end, God, may we each be in submission to the Bible's truth this morning so that we might be found in the enjoyment of the Bible's blessings. For Jesus' sake and in his name, we ask these things. Amen. Well, a while back, I came across a lovely little song. Maybe you've heard it. The lyrics are as follows. No, you never know what the world's going to show you. It ain't up to you. You always think it's gonna happen to another person and it's never ever gonna happen to you. You got your friends, you got your money, you got your family, got your honey. You think you got a million days, but then life comes along and it knocks you right down to the ground. And that's why I say then the refrain. Everybody ought to hug somebody at least once a day. And everybody ought to kiss somebody at least once a day. Everybody's gonna miss somebody at least once a day. And everybody everybody's gotta love somebody. Every day. Now, if you think about it, that is a lovely message to consider. There, there's some good in it in the right way. It's very good. And I hope we kiss our wife. I hope we kiss our husbands, our kids, our grandparents, if we're able. Every day. I hope that happens. And hugs. I mean, in our home, we, we need lots of hugs. And many of us enjoy it. So it's a good song. Personally, I like it a lot. It just, it just doesn't go far enough. Because on this earth, there's not always going to be an every day. On this earth, life's not going to go on forever. This is uh, one of the fantasies of modern men and women that they live under, that life will go on forever, that we all have a million days, that there'll never be a last time for anything. Now, in the back of their minds, people may say, okay, sure, death comes, but nothing really much happens after. And if something does happen, then it's an automatic good for almost everyone, especially if you're an American. So, if you're a terrorist, if you're a murderer, or uh, for some, if you don't cut your grass enough, uh, then, okay, there's something else for you, but for most of us, we pay our bills, we sip our coffee, we hang out, we're good parents, and we've never been to jail, automatic good. But that's not true, is it? No, automatic good is not true. It, it could be true, but only if you're a Christian. Now, there are a growing number of people who say, when you die, you die. That's it. It's, it's done. You know, Or some people say that the wicked will just die and eventually in eternity they're going to die. So at the last judgment, um, those not receiving salvation in Christ, they're not destined for everlasting torment. They're destined for total destruction. They're going to be annihilated. So what the Bible says pretty clearly that there's everlasting torment for those who are outside of Jesus Christ is not true. God's just going to take them out of the picture. So what I hope we see is, by and large, there there is confusion in our culture of death and and what comes after death. And by and large, even in popular Christianity, you you don't hear too much about the then of heaven unless someone's willing to tell us that they've been there. In fact, if you think about it, there's so many people telling us that they've been to heaven, there's not going to be a whole lot left to find out. There's lots to talk about now. We understand that the now of earth and how we can make things better for us here and the best you now and the promised land life now and have a ball now. Now, now maybe there's a, a place for that, a small place, but you'll notice if your Bible's open that the Apostle Paul under God devotes the longest chapter of this incredibly helpful book to the topic of the resurrection of the dead. He wants us to have clarity about what God would like us to know about the resurrection this side of heaven. Now, for now, we won't know everything because like a good dad, God has some wonderful surprises for us to enjoy in heaven. But still, what will carry us through and what will strengthen us in our faith, especially as we we begin to meet our death? Paul's going to tell us. Paul's going to tell us these things, especially if we ever get that news that our condition is terminal. So for people like that, people close to the death, these things mean a whole lot. But in reality, they should mean a whole lot to all of us here because the reality is we do not know the day when God determines to turn off the lights for us. And that's not a scare tactic. That's just biblical truth. So what we're going to do is work through three points. In fact, we're already on the first point. Number one, the questions which are to be answered. Now, the Apostle Paul in verse 35 was answering the kind of questions which was in the air in their culture, and as so often happens, was put in the minds of the church. And the two questions, pretty, pretty straightforward. Verse 35, you'll see them there. How are the dead raised, and with what kind of body will they come? Now, you should know that the Greek culture at this time despised the physical body of the person. They they were so sophisticated intellectually that they really didn't think that matter really mattered. What counted, they said, was the soul, which at death left the body, you know, this house of clay, and had no more time for the physical. So in reality, they could never get physical for all eternity if what they said was true. And yet, this funny little Christian sect in Corinth most of, him, one, most of them, 1 Corinthians 126, were not wise by human standards, most of them not influential, most of them of not noble birth. These, this little sect said, "When it comes to the eternal destinies of their souls, there also will be a resurrection of their bodies." And the Greeks would just laugh at this. And this would be the kind of stuff they would have at their, you know, Greek dinner parties. A little fodder there. If they had a newspaper, these are the things that would be in their editorial page. And they would say, okay, smart guys, so the dead are raised. Verse 35b. Well, okay, so then with what kind of body will they come? And you understand this. Will we be given a baby body with the tiny little bottoms and the cheeky little cheeks? Will we be given a teen body? Will we have the body of a 30-year-old or a 21-year-old? Or, or will we just come back as we were when we died? So if you die old, you're out of luck. You'll be old forever. Or as in my case, am I really stuck with all this forever, really? Or maybe there's hope and we will all be slim and we'll all be handsome or gorgeous with just the dreamiest eyes. With what kind of body will we have? And what if the body's burned in a fire? What if the body's lost at sea? What if the body is disintegrated? How can that body be raised? That was their questions. They're not bad questions. Frankly, they're good ones. They're important ones. The answer to these questions means everything to those of us who have lost in death people we love, or for those of us nearing our death, or for those of us who've told we don't have much time, the answer to those questions mean everything. May God be pleased to put more and more people around us that are, that are asking those questions. And may be God please be pleased to, to convince them of the answers that we give them because ultimately God is the only one who can. So these Christians in Corinth, they wrote to Paul, their spiritual father, real answers are needed to these real questions. And what you'll see if your Bible's open, that Paul will give them the answers they seek. And, and loved ones, here's what we need to know. This whole resurrection of the body thing, which is coming for those in Christ, the way Paul describes, is all because, it's only because, verse 28, you see it there, verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Again, as with everything, everything depends on Christ. There's no resurrection, none at all, if Christ had not been raised you think about it that's why you should never have a bad easter right you think about the easter resurrection as we focus that um our minds in that direction up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes and because jesus lives rebels like me we can live by grace forever only because of jesus So that's the first point. Those are the questions to be answered. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Now what Paul does is he moves from the questions to the illustrations. He gives us three. Verse 36. He begins by saying, how foolish. Now, at first read, you're like, that's not very nice, Paul. You're talking to a group of people who are going to read that forever. You should clean up your language. But, but he's not trying to be a smarty pants. He's simply saying what he has said at least four, maybe five times in this letter. Come on, guys. Let's think this through. Think it out. Think the resurrection from the dead out. Because he's going to show us it's written into the very DNA of creation. That's what I've told you many times now. Unbelief is unsustainable. As you look at creation honestly, and you look at it sensibly, you'll understand then what Paul is saying is true. So he begins in verse 36 with a very true maxim, a true principle. And you'll see it there. Death is the condition of resurrection. Death is the condition of resurrection. Verse 36, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. Right? John Stott, nothing will ever grow unless it dies. And this principle applies to everything which has to do with Christianity. Death is the secret to everything in Christianity. Death is what brought us our salvation. Die to self to really, really live. Die to the flesh to find true joy. Die to your own wisdom to enjoy God's wisdom. Why are those things true? Because nothing ever, ever grows unless it dies. That's what Paul's saying. So he moves from the maximum, verse 36, to the illustration, verse 37. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Got that. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And I think most of us here understand this. When a seed is planted into the ground, it actually dies. It begins to decompose. It must stop being a seed before it can come to life To its future form, flower, plant, whatever. So you should know this. This is the absolute truth. What a wonder it was when my wife and I first moved to northern Minnesota and found all you flower and garden people. You, You were amazing in our eyes. I mean, in our home, you bring a plant in, we kill it. I mean, we can kill it good. We can just, within seconds sometimes, the thing's dead. But you people, you can like feed hundreds of people with your gardens and you got your flowers. I don't even know how you do that. Now, now, still, the wonder of all that should still be a wonder. You tell a little child who doesn't know anything about this, you say, well, you see, mom's going to put a seed in the ground, and then she's going to bury it. And the first thing maybe a child will say is, are you mad at the seed, mom? I mean, what are you doing, right? Oh, we're going to get flowers. Mom, are you telling me that you're going to put that thing in the ground, cover it with dirt, and a flower is going to come out of that? Mom, just go to Walmart. That's what the friend zones do. Go to Walmart, get the flower, and maybe it'll live. Not at their house. But what happens? I mean, we know this. We're so familiar with it, but we shouldn't be lost in the wonder. You, you, you put the thing in the ground. You bury it. And what do you have? You have a bellflower. You have a buttercup. You have peonies. You have lady, sleep, lady slippers, right? Up from the ground it arose. You put an apple seed in the ground, and in time, what happens? Whole tree with apples. What a wonder that is. And again, this happens all the time. Look at creation. All the time, why? Why is that the case? Because God has put it in creation. Death is the condition for resurrection. Because it's impossible to have the reality of life and flower and fruit without the death of the seed. And what is true physically, nothing ever grows unless it dies, is equally true spiritually, and it's equally true eschatologically as in how things go at the end. In days past, I learned this this week, in days past, Christians would call a cemetery God's acre. God's acre, because in the acre were seeds, the bodies that were sown into the ground that were just waiting for the resurrection of their body. And Paul will tell us that our earthly body is going to have to decay and it's going to have to die because death is a condition of resurrection. And in that, what appears will be very different than what is planted. How disappointing it would be if you planted blue wildflower seeds into the ground and you came back to harvest and all you got was blue wildflower seeds. But yet sometimes people think that about death. All all you have is now, death is the end. So if you dig me up, me, 5, 10, 15 years later, there'll just be bits and pieces of me and, and lots and lots of dust. But that is not the end, says the Bible. It's not the end. And you'll notice verse 38, Paul will tell us that God is in charge of that. Now, get this picture of God. This is is God micromanaging creation. I mean, he is actively involved. He gives the seed and a body just as he determined, as he decided. And it's the same for our bodies this morning. God has given us the bodies that he determined. So ours is a God-given body. Go slow through this with me. Ours is a unique body. It has an identity all its own. Many of us spend a whole lot of time not happy about the body that God gave us. Think through that. But again, on that great day, when you are resurrected, you will be you. You'll not be someone else. You'll be you. You'll be an infinitely better you, but you'll still be you. Think of that. That's Paul's first resurrection illustration. Seeds do not grow up to be what they are. By chance, God decrees it. And again, a child can understand this. You put the seed in the ground, it dies, and later on you get something back, which is far, far better. Second illustration is in terms of flesh. Verse 39, not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. Perfectly understandable, isn't it? Gentlemen, when you get your little trail bag, you're going to maybe say, honey, let's go for a walk. We'll eat the trail mix and we'll enjoy each other's company. And you begin to hold her hand. And when you reach out to hold her hand, you're not expecting to feel a slimy fins, are you? What are you expecting to feel? Flesh. Flesh. Let's say you put your arm around her shoulder. You're not expecting to feel scales. And so says Paul, God is in charge of all the differences of the flesh, God gives these things as he determines. Now, I want you to think with me in terms of biochemistry. Okay, so let's just put ourselves through these paces in our mind. There are over 600 octadecillion different combinations of amino acids. Okay, why is that important? It's important because amino acids form the biological code of human existence and existence for all life. And by the way, you probably know this, but an octocillion is 1 to the 108th power. That's a 1 followed by 108 zeros. And every variety of plant and human and animal life has its own distinct pattern of amino acids which order each respective group. But, and listen carefully, beyond that, each individual plant and each individual animal and each individual human being has its own unique grouping. In other words, there are no two flowers alike, there are no two seeds alike, no two blades of grass, no two animals exa- alike, no two human beings alike, even identical twins are not exactly alike. Yet each is identified with its own species, its own kind. That's the language of the book of Genesis. Okay, so you say, well, thank you for that biochemistry lesson. What's the big deal? Because we know you're not that smart. You're right. Here's the big deal. Beyond the fact that these two truths point to the fallacy of evolution, because one of the things about evolution is tells us how things change over time, and something that is dead can be alive, and something different can be something uh, more than what it is. These truths are simply saying that our individuality is Built into our very existence. This is what God determined. And our individuality. Will be maintained through all eternity. Now. Loved ones. We are so uniquely created. Two things. We're so uniquely created. That even though most of us spend our time saying. Well I wish I didn't talk as much. I wish I was more quiet. I wish it was this. I wish it was that. Behind all that. And you may not even mean this as a dissatisfaction with what God has made in you. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the us that we are right now, our bents, our ways, our mannerisms, they're going to be that way perfect forever. The double bonus is they're going to be perfected in heaven at the resurrection with a different kind of splendor. Do you see that word, a splendor? It's doxa. It means glory. So there's going to be eternal glory in our existence. Do we understand that? Uh, uh, Eternal glory. We're never going to have a bad day. We look in front of the mirror sometimes. We're like, okay, this is a decent day. Or if you're in my case, this is a horrible day. But we're never going to have a bad day. Our glory will be forever. There'll be no letdown in heaven. Now again, think of that. A proper glory in heaven for us fit forever. Now, I would remind you that that only comes because of the obedience of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection on the cross. That opens the door to all that. And then the grace of God has to come down and save us from our sins so that we can enjoy all that. So, Paul moves on then from agriculture to biochemistry. Now, his example, verse 41, is astronomy. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And the stars differ from star in splendor. Okay, what's he saying? Well, the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars, completely different in intensity. And how different is the sun from the moon? The moon from the stars. And even better, one star from another. And so before human beings could even see this, the Bible was revealing this. So the thinking person then has to look up to the sky, look down to the ground, and and they see honestly the variety and the diversity of created order. And that's what Paul wants. He wants his readers to think this through. He's not afraid of science. He embraces science. It's it's power to God, it's glory to God in the resurrection. Now you remember our original question How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? Paul uses earthbound things. This is no new revelation. He uses earthbound things to illustrate heavenly realities. Why does he do that? Because the God who made the heavens is the God who made the earth. And his mechanisms are similar all the time in every place. It's just the dimensions of what is needed in each place that he changes. So Paul wants us to know. He he wanted them to know. There is a body for living on earth and there is a body for living in heaven. And God has made things so what is on earth fits on earth. And God is making things so that what is in heaven fits in heaven. Okay. That takes us to our third and final point. Number one, the questions which are to be answered. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? The illustrations, agriculture, biochemistry, astronomy, the stuff of the earth. Final point, the explanations which are needed. So Paul then, he begins to build his case with illustrations and the illustrations all are from common grace, the thing that everyone enjoys. But now he's going to show us here, specifically here, and what the resurrection means for the Christian. So now he's going to show us what things have been done by people for people who have been saved by God's amazing grace. Verse 42, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. And so Paul tells us what we need to know. And in verse 42, he begins to give us four truths about our earthly bodies. And these truths, they ought to humble the mind of men and women. Truth number one, our bodies are perishable. In other words, we live with an expiration date. We, we have a best if used by date, right? I told the first service, I don't have any tattoos, but if I ever did get one, I would get tattooed somewhere on my body, best if used by, and then a big line, right? And then a period, and we'll let God determine when my time here is on earth. And so they find me somewhere. Maybe I'll be behind the pulpit. And then you'll see on my arm. Best if used by. And if feel free. write in the date <laughs> that, that I was done. I'll give you that liberty. Okay? All right. Sorry. <laughs> the psalmist. That was bad, wasn't it? I shouldn't have said that. That's why I write everything down. Because, you know, the lips and the teeth. Okay. The psalmist. All the days of my life are written in his book before one of them came to be. Right? So someone might think they're invincible, that, that they're going to beat the odds. But in fact, because I'm human, I'm perishable. Isaiah 40, 1 Peter 1, 24. All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. Grass withers, flowers fall, and so will we all. Psalm 103, 15 and 16. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. Perishable. Number two, our bodies are shown in dishonor. Now, the word that Paul uses for dishonor is a and that was the word used for the loss of rights of citizenship. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, when the body's in the ground, the body's lost all its rights of citizenship on earth. In other words, once we're buried, we've got nothing to say for ourselves. We can't change anything. We can't say, I wish more people would come and visit me. We can't say, I don't like the casket, and I'm going to send a letter up to get a better one. No, why? Because our rights on this earth are removed. What will be sown in dishonor? What will be sown perishable? Well, it's the same thing, number three. It's our bodies. And Paul goes on to say, our bodies will be sown in weakness. Frail as summer flowers, we are. As mortals, we rise and then perish. We catch colds, we get diseases, we break bones, and parts of our body leave us, (laughs) and we decline, and we decay. Each Christmas, for the past couple of years, someone in our household gives me those Those. Nose clipper things, right? So apparently I have hair growing out of places that didn't used to do that, right? And by the way, every year the model gets more intense. The first year was like some plastic teepee thing. And then the last year was some gold-plated, you know, high-powered instrument. So I have to shove the thing in my ear and I have to shove the thing in my nose. And I say to myself, what is happening here? I mean, I wish I could relocate some of that stuff, but I can't. And then I remember my grandpa. And to be honest with you, (laughs) God rest her soul, my grandmother, right? And she had stuff growing out of her ears and she had stuff growing out of her nose. And here I am in all my weakness having the same thing happen to me. It's coming for everybody. In fact, I'll let you borrow one of my nose clippers if you need it. Now, why is all that the case? Because those are signs of my weakness. Those are signs of my end. Verse 43, Joe will be sown in weakness and so will all of you. So you see what Paul is doing here, he's helping us not to parade around like some in our day, like, you know, some mega super stud or a Barbie beauty queen, right? We're just flesh. And that's not to say that there's not some honor or beauty in our physical bodies. Of course there is. And in the right way, we should enjoy those privileges. But, but in humility, we have to remember it's not going to last It is not going to last. We can't make our bodies the things that sets us apart or gives us value or worth. Why is that the case? Because it is fleeting. It is fleeting. Luther would say of himself, and I think he's the only person who writes this way, poor maggot sack that I am. Poor maggot sack that I am. Eventually, that's where he's headed. Okay, number four. We're perishable. We're sown in dishonor. We're weak. And we're sown as natural bodies. Which means what we said a moment or two ago: the body sown into the ground was meant for only life on this earth. God made it that way. That's why, when, if you think about it, when people go up in space, they don't go up in shorts and a t-shirt, do they? They have to suit up. They have to suit up because they can't go up there and exist without it. In the same way, Paul says, if you think we can go up there with what we are down here, we are mistaken. We're mistaken because God has planned something infinitely better. So then now Paul moves to his final explanation, verse 45. This is just theology, isn't it? This is original sin. When God created man, he created Adam. Adam was made from the dust of the ground. Adam was natural. He was a human and he was a sinner. And Adam was the prototype of all who would come after him, you and I. Therefore, each of us here this morning, we're in Adam. We are from the earth and to the earth. Will return Genesis 2, 7. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and to the dust our bodies will return. No one will be able to stop that. That's our common condition. That is our prospect. We're all tied up with Adam. But here's the good news, Paul says. There's another Adam. He's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam. He was not a man from the earth, but one from heaven. And the body which he has now... This is amazing, is the prototype of the bodies we will have on that great day when body and soul are reunited in heaven. Verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. In other words, there's no small thing of being a Christian. The other day I was listening to the song on YouTube, Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart, in my heart. One day the Christian will see and feel and experience that song come true, but not just in their heart, in their body. Okay, and what will the body be like? Well, he told us on the other side of verses 42 to 44. So instead of our bodies being perishable, right? Instead of all of us needing nose clippers, it's going to be imperishable, indestructible body. No more death. Instead of being sown in dishonor, our bodies will be raised in glory. Think of that. The life of the kingdom, proper glory, right? So sometimes we get glory here wrong on earth. We do something fantastic. We're like, everybody look at me. And then we kind of get it wrong sometimes. In heaven, that'll never be the case. It'll never be the case. Our weakness replaced with power, indestructible power. Our natural body being replaced with a spiritual one. Now I ask you again, why are those things true? It's only because Jesus Christ came to this earth, suffered and died, bled on the cross, buried, and up from the grave God arose, Jesus Christ. He's raised from the dead, atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the first fruits of all that is coming for the Christian. All that is coming. And again, it is no small thing to be a Christian because Paul is telling us we are in for a fantastic Change will still be recognizable. There's going to be some continuity between what we are now and what we are then, but there will be a difference. There's going to be a difference with us, and there's going to be a difference, a vast difference, from what heaven will be like. So will you do this with me? Join with me, and I want you to listen to these true truths. You can you can close your eyes. Some of your eyes are already closed. You can close your eyes. And just think of these truths which are soon coming. You ready? Think of a world in which flowers never die. Animals don't prey upon the weak. A world in which earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes never destroy anything. Think of a world in which a man won't stick a knife in the belly of another man ever. Think of a world in which the word cancer scares no one. HIV never to exist. Think of a world in which children never get sick and never die. And old people never leave us. A world in which everyone is kind and tender to each other all the time. And people are really, really nice. And they're very generous. And they make you feel warm inside all the time. You talk to men like they're your brothers or your father. You talk to ladies like they're your sister or your mom. Think of a world of intense purity. A world where you see and serve and enjoy and love the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of a world where worship of Christ matters more than anything. Think of a world in which there's no fights. No one takes offense. No one has egos. Everyone thinks the best of you. Think of a world where our bodies never know weakness and they never know age and they never know fatigue and they never know lust and they never know temptation and they never know sickness and they never know death. Now you think about that world and loved ones, that world is coming. These are God's final plans. They are the settled plans. And the God of your life now wants this future for his people. He wants it for you and he wants it for everyone now that might be racing across your mind that you know are outside of Jesus Christ, but you've been praying for years that they would become Christians. God wants us to live in our heavenly bodies Verse 49b, the likeness of the man from heaven, Jesus Christ. Okay, so, so why, why a heavenly body? Well, look at the answer there, verse 50. Because flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, not, nor the perishable, what we are now, inherit the imperishable. Jesus Christ stands at the head of history as one saying, I am making everything new and I'm making everything better. It is no small thing to be a Christian. And the days that we live and everybody's ticked about something all the time and the Christian faith and I get that way too. But think of this. This is coming. This is coming. Let me just close with one thought and we'll be done. Sometimes on occasion the parents and kids have arguments about how the kids can dress, right? Uh, yeah, the skirt's too short, the pants are too tight, you can't wear jeans, all that stuff. In the midst of all the fuss, there is the classic line, you can't go in there dressed like that. Right? You can't go in there dressed like that. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. 1 Corinthians 15:50, you can't go into heaven in flesh and blood. You can't. So as with everything else on this earth, we need God to do everything. We needed God to send Jesus. We needed God to pour out grace to save us. And now we need God to give us new bodies when that great day comes. Now listen carefully. Just like Nicodemus was told by Jesus, I'm telling all of us here this morning, we can't enter into into heaven unless we've been truly born again. Right? This is not automatic. This is for those of us who have been born again. If you haven't, If you haven't been born again, then Jesus puts his hand out to you and says, Come on, come on, we're going to take this walk forever. You, You can't go in there dressed like that, right? And you can't buy the clothes that you need if you would to go into heaven. But Jesus has lots of clothes. He gives you his perfect righteousness. And he keeps passing them out because he's kind, he's generous, he's loving. And he'll give you his robe of righteousness which you need to get into heaven, he's got tons of them. As we repent and we believe and we put on our clothes, which in heaven will be on our new bodies. It's a good day to hear this. I pray that God gives you double joy today, understanding and learning what we've learned this morning. And let it carry us through life. May may the resurrection be bigger and bigger and bigger in us as we think about what's coming. There's more to say, but we'll have to save it, Lord willing, for next time. Let's bow together. Father, the last song that we sang was that you are a good, good father. And we end this Sunday, this Lord's Day, saying the exact same thing. You are a good, good father. It is no small thing to be a Christian. It is, it is privilege. It is grace. It is beauty. It is the power of an indestructible life because of the precious life of Jesus, which he surrendered on the cross for our sins. May, may everyone within the sound of my voice, and even God will be so bold this morning to say, may everyone that we know that is outside of Jesus Christ, may they be eventually changed by these truths, before their time on this earth is done. God, you're the only one that can do such a thing. And so, as always, we look to you for everything. Greatly bless your people here this morning. We would ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.